Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Rachel Cooper is a violin teacher who was recently awarded the Emerging Artist Award given by the Dallas Symphony Orchestra at the 2023 Women in Classical Music Symposium. She's a Suzuki teacher, a violin and chamber music coach at Junior Guildhall, and works for Nicola Benedetti's education initiative, the Benedetti Foundation. As part of her award and her continuing professional development, Rachel is planning to put her teaching approaches into a book to help inspire music teachers to inject a little bit of magic into their lessons. What's so distinctive about Rachel's teaching? Rachel spoke to me about the concept of 3D learning and creative teaching, emphasising an all-round approach to music, including how something feels and sounds not just how something looks, to embed information in a way that students understand and ultimately unlock their progress. She speaks about how tailoring her teaching methods to students gives you skills to become a better and more effective teacher. Here's Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Welcome to the Strat podcast. (laughs) So I've been wanting to talk to you about your approaches to teaching and very excited to speak to you, having gotten to know about your work from the Emerging Artist Award that you received late last year from, I want to say Her Highness, but um, from... From the great violinist Nicola Benedetti as part of her Dallas Symphony Orchestra Award of Excellence that she received at the Women in Classical Music Symposium late last year. So, you know, congratulations on your award. And obviously this award is going to allow you to explore more of your professional development in your field of teaching as a violin teacher. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I also think she's the queen, so you're not wrong. Her I highness Nicola queen. Benedetti. <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) So, I mean, my first question for you is, how are you feeling getting back into teaching now? We're speaking in January 2024, Happy New Year, etc. But obviously, you know, there's that feeling of slight January blues for not only teachers, but also students, you know, getting back into the teaching studio, having had a few weeks holiday. How are you feeling getting back into it all? Oh, gosh, I've had this conversation, actually, I've spoken to a lot of people about this this week. Um, It's like a baptism of fire coming back into work. And um, I think like most teachers, uh, when you you go back into teaching, you forget how exhausting it is, Um, you know, to to, to give and to share all day. um, I love it. But it's like, you know, training for a marathon. And it, you know, when you've had a break, it's 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 hard to go back in. But, you know, I have made a pact with myself this year to, to, to feed myself, to be able to give out more. And, you know, the last four years have been incredibly intense with the pandemic and, and my teaching career took off in such a bizarre way during that time. And I, I gave out so much in the last four years and I've loved every minute of it, but I also realised the need to top myself up. So, you know, doing things in the holiday and, and just reading and, 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 and watching masterclasses, for example, and having time to do those things has really actually given me enough petrol to get going this, this, this yeah, year. Yeah, you need to fill your cup so that then 100%. you can fill others as well. So what sort of masterclasses did you watch? Tell me a little bit about those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the, the different stages of violin learning. So I'm fascinated of watch, you know, by watching masterclasses at, at the younger level, but also the, the senior level. 
I'm not sure whether to divulge who I was watching because I um, posted about it yesterday and I was a bit concerned about it. Um, I, I, I watch masterclasses and I wonder sometimes if if the ego gets in the way of the, the giving giving to the student. The ego becomes more important than, than, than expanding the student's mind and sharing with them. Um, it's more placing information upon them, which is which is kind of what we're going to talk about. But so I watched a number of masterclasses. And whilst I think the information is all, is often golden, I'm often a bit distracted and put off by the ego that's delivering the information. So but you always learn something, whether you like it or you don't. You always learn something. Yes. And that's what I love about, about what we do. Sometimes it's it is very valuable to learn what to do, but also what not to do as well. And I think I can definitely think back to my experiences of my learning, the sort of masterclasses that you'd go to where, you know, it doesn't matter who this person is teaching, um, you know, they're just kind of there to show how well they speak or, as you say, feed their ego. But it really takes a special kind of teacher to allow a student to bloom and blossom into a musician. Tell me a little bit about your approaches to teaching in general, because I've spoken to another teacher fairly recently about teaching students to teach themselves. And ultimately, as teachers, you want to make your job as a teacher redundant further down the line. Tell me a little bit about this idea of, of 3D learning um, and, and creative teaching. Absolutely. So I know the podcast you're referring to it was Lawrence Lesser, wasn't yes, it? And right. I, I listened to that episode and um, he, he was fantastic um, and very much touched upon on, on the way I feel about my, my teaching approach. I think what, what struck me is in the last sort of 10 years um, that I've been teaching and my own teacher training, I'm a Suzuki violin teacher as well. And I was thinking about my own experiences. I realised that when I was learning to play the violin, it wasn't until I was in my early 20s, having gone through, you know, all my sort of early stages of violin learning and two degrees, that I felt like I still didn't understand what it felt like to hold the violin and play it. And that really struck me. And I think is a massive barrier to so many young people that we're working with. Often on a day off, I'll go into one of the academies or colleges and and go and watch some senior teachers teaching because I want to know what's happening at that level and what is not working and what we could be doing better in the early stages of teaching instruments. And one of the biggest things that is lacking is this sense of what something feels like, an awareness of how it feels, not just how it looks. Because we, if we get hung up on what it looks like, we neglect the sound quality, we neglect the resonance of the sound, and ultimately, we don't learn anything. Because what it looks like is certainly not a reflection on how it sounds, and it's not helpful to how it feels. You know, when I'm teaching young children and I see a bow hold, I'm like, oh yeah, that looks right. It doesn't feel right. It's mm. solid and it's stressed and it's full of tension. So my idea of 3D teaching kind of came from that and watching many, many beautiful, incredible teachers. Um, one in particular, I'll mention Kuhn Renz. If you, if you get a chance to go and see him or, or see his work, he's a Suzuki teacher in Belgium. He completely changed my world in, in terms of how I viewed teaching. And so I have been experimenting with the sense of how do we give children a completely 3D experience of violin playing and learning. And so when problems crop up, for example, if they're learning to play a B flat for the first time, <laughs> I take that concept and I look at it from every which way. I don't say, put your first finger flat, 
put it lower, pull it back. Mm. Because for some children, it's simply not enough. And some people might say to me, or look at my teacher and go, gosh, she's wasting a lot of time. <laughs> and I say, no. I say, you go on this exploration of discovery and you journey with the children in this way once, the concept sticks. Then you don't keep saying the same thing again and again. Yes. Then I'm not frustrated. They're not frustrated. They know what it feels like, sounds like, looks like. They have explored all of those things. You're covering so many different bases. And I think one of the things that can be quite frustrating about teaching is when you feel like, as you mentioned, you're just saying the same thing over and over and over again. And quite often that's because you haven't found the right way of communicating that concept that resonates with that particular child. So I imagine in your line of teaching, you probably have to deal with all sorts of different students that think and are wired in lots of different ways. And so in a way that that helps you get to know the student better, right? Thousand percent. Every student has a unique way of understanding something. And it's up to us as teachers to explore what that is for that child or young person. And I think it's really important as teachers, and I say this to myself often, if they're not understanding it or getting it, it is on us as teachers. It is not on them. And so we need to find a way to connect with them. So whether that is through asking intelligent questions and questions that would spark something in their imagination or spark curiosity, curiosity. Oh, my gosh, that word is being lost in today's contemporary world. And curiosity is the one thing that will make children invest in what they're doing. Yeah. And it's our job as teachers to light that fire. Staying curious. And then, yeah, as you say, that lights the fire, that sets the spark for them to continue the exploration themselves. Do you have any examples of students that you've taught that have responded in a way that was perhaps surprising to you or perhaps managed to extract some way of communication from yourself that you didn't think about before. Absolutely. I mean, that's the beauty of this way of teaching is that they teach you how to do your job better. That's the one beauty about doing teaching this way. I teach children of multiple levels and abilities. I mean, I really do. I teach children that, you know, don't unpack the violin during the week at all because it's, you know, either not part of their culture at home or simply because they're not allowed. There's, there's multiple reasons. Hmm. I teach a lot of group um, violin lessons. And there was this one child who has got a number of additional needs and a huge number of additional needs. And, you know, trying to incorporate his abilities in the lesson can often be really challenging, but it makes the lessons way more interesting and exciting. We often put the instruments down and we jump around the room. If we're talking about semitones, I don't talk about semitones, it's not important, the words, it's just the word, but, you know, we'll lay the foot mats out in, in the classroom and we'll we'll stand together if, there, if there's a semitone or we'll, we'll stand apart and pretend that we're not friends with each other if, you know, if there's a gap in these things. And it was really fascinating to me. He was joining in all of this and then the following lesson when I was asking about it, he was the one that answered all of my questions. All of my questions. It had completely gone in, having jumped around the room and not just stayed on the instrument or stuck a piece of music in front of them. Getting away from that had embedded the information in a way that he understood. And it's like being shaken and, and being reminded that it is so worth thinking creatively about how to teach children you know and I, I get really upset when I hear teachers say the things like well they don't practice so I don't see the point or they don't understand it or they're not talented or they're not creative or they're not and I'm just like no that's on you 
that's on us, okay, to get that right and to, to engage them in what it is that we are doing at whatever level, at whatever level. This is not about music protégés. This is about developing children that are, like you say, self-sufficient, questioning the world and learning empathy and all of the beautiful skills that we know music holds. So that's why it's worth investing. That they can then transfer into other disciplines as well. In the current education system, there is a lot of emphasis on rote learning in other subjects and spoon feeding. And if they can have some time, you know, during the week where they're not thinking in that way, they're thinking outside the box in all these different ways, then that's going to feed into these disciplines as well and create more rounded individuals. Absolutely. But absolutely. And, and in my lessons, you'll very rarely see me teaching from music. Mm. And it's not because my students don't read music. They absolutely do. But how can you possibly... It's like, it's like me and you having a dialogue now and me trying to read a book at the same time. I don't understand that. That's really, really difficult for an adult, let alone a child, to be focusing on what's in front of them whilst I'm trying to correct their bow hold and correct their rhythm and correct everything else. It doesn't work like that. So for me, it's really important that we get away from that and that they are fully, their senses come alive, you know, their imagination comes alive, their ears come alive. I use the phrase often, open your ears, what do you hear? You know, what do you imagine this sound is like? And what do you see? Do you see the string vibrating? Just like Lawrence Lesser was saying. That stuff for me is where they become totally at one with the instrument. And then they're focusing on storytelling as well. Mm. They're not focused on the other stuff, like seeing the music in front of them. I think reading is really important, but I don't think it should be to the detriment of how something feels and sounds. Yes. And so therefore you're teaching a student to as you say become one with the instrument but just be a bit more intuitive with the instrument and I think that intuition is something that perhaps some classical musicians lack you know there is that 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 separation disconnect yeah Yeah. disconnect when you're like well I don't really know what to do because I haven't been told how to do it and I haven't gotten approval from my teacher yet if you can feel and hear how something sounds and then start to make your own decisions it's a lot more freeing Absolutely. And, and, and my, stu- my students at the beginning of our journey together will often stand there and look at me ready for my response. And I'll give absolutely nothing. And I'll say, what did you think? Yeah. And they might say, I don't know. And I said, that's OK. We're going to do it again. And I want you to really listen to what you do. And then I'm going to ask you some questions about what you did. And we're going to talk about what it sounded like and what you thought about it. And they might say something like, it was great. And I'll say, OK, what did you really like about it? Yeah. Or they'll say it was awful and I'll say something like, well, I don't think it was awful. Tell me why you thought it was awful. Let's think about the things that were good about it. So it's training them, like I said before, to be curious and, yep, self-reflective and self-sufficient. Because I, like you say, I'm not going to be there six (laughs) out of seven days a week saying all of this stuff to them. And what's scary, um, Davina, is I see it at senior level and I see these students waiting for a professor of great esteem to tell them what's right and wrong. Mm. And they become little factory-made violinists, which is not conducive to the creative practice that we are involved in and invested in. And also, it's not, it doesn't give anything back to me as a musician and an artist if I'm waiting for someone to tell me if it's right or wrong. You just become a, a bit of a, an automaton in that way. You're encouraging critical thought as well because, yeah, so many students are just scared that they're going to say the wrong thing. They're going to say 
the non-approved response from Ofsted or whatever or the examining board. I think also the challenge for you is creating a space where they feel safe enough to say what they actually feel, right? Okay. This, I mean, you've touched on the, yeah, something I wanted to talk about. Environment is everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as teachers, we can have all the facts and information about how to teach something, but it is completely redundant if the environment is rubbish, if it is not conducive to sharing. One of the main predictors of good development of metacognition in young people and other, you know, people in general is a safe space, mm-hmm. is the idea of good, healthy relationships in the room is the idea that children feel able to say what they like, what they want to say, what they're thinking about. And that's also to do with giving space, like space in conversation. Mm. You know, it's very easy for us as teachers to jump in because we think they don't know the answer. It's not that at all. They just have not thought it through. So I leave crazy amounts of space. Sometimes seven to 10 seconds, which feels like forever. And in that last second, the child will go, this is what I think. And I've had parents and guardians come to me and say, my child comes home crying because the teacher is not giving them a chance to think about the answer. So the teacher's assuming they don't know. Mm. And then they feel really stupid and inadequate. And that makes me really upset because I think of all the children that are being missed and all the children that are giving up because they just simply weren't given enough time to think. So it's absolutely about the space. And this starts from the moment you see the child, you collect them from the classroom or whatever, or you open the door to your home and you see them. And it's about setting the scene for some magic. And to me, it's just, I feel like that's my job. That is my main job. Violin teaching is kind of just secondary. My main job is to create a space where children just want to be and where children just want to have some fun. <laughs> right, yeah. I think that's the first time I've heard someone describe violin teaching as, as magic before. And, um, <laughs> you know, and I think that's that's quite conducive, especially to young children who are perhaps exploring Harry Potter, you know, a good way to get them to, to learn these, <laughs> these super skills. <laughs> What's your plan for the future? I know that um, when you were given this Emerging Artist Award, you know, it's to enable you to continue developing your approaches to teaching what's sort of next in the in the pipeline <laughs> yeah I've, I've got lots of exciting things planned um taking taking my teaching to, to various parts of the world and um you know giving masterclasses but my main exciting project that I'm really looking forward to doing is is writing this book um, which I have started and I've laid out the chapters and Having worked with the, the, the Benedetti Foundation for a number of years now and going around the country delivering teacher training, I realised that there are a lot of depleted teachers out there. Mm. Teachers that are feeling despondent and, you know, a bit um, disconnected with what they're doing because, you know, whether it's lack of resource or lack of, you know, lack of time to feed themselves or the system is letting them down. I just felt that I wanted to create a short book. It's not going to be a long book. It's going to be a shorthand book for teachers to dip in and out of, which is going to be hopefully called something along the lines of the 3D teacher, the magic of teaching. And magic, um, that word magic, magic. because I really do believe it's magic. I believe that we, it has, it's going to have it, what teaching has a huge impact on and music teaching has a huge impact on, on, on the people that we are unfolding in this world. Yeah, it's going to talk about the role of 
us as teachers and us being the sunshine and feeding these young people and looking at behaviour management in a different way. I hate that word, I hate that term, and looking at how we can endorse children to want to, to just be present and to be involved in what's going on in the room rather than putting fires out all the time. Yeah. You know, preventing it before it gets started. And yeah, and planning lessons and, and making it fun and journeying with the children, like we were talking about, journeying with them, not telling them, getting rid of this archaic notion of telling. And yeah, and then using some real life examples and getting some pictures in there of really fun, creative things. I hope it will just be a bit of an injection of joy is what I hope it will be. That's what I hope. So that's what I'll be working on in all the small amounts of days off I have. (laughs) (laughs) And the tiny windows of time that you have free. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, it sounds really, really positive. um, And you'll have to keep us posted to how that goes, because I'm sure it'll help many people in the future. um, Because, yeah, as you say, I think it's quite common for a lot of teachers to feel quite despondent about what they do. And so could serve as a really good refresher. And especially in chilly winter months such as January, inject that much needed inspiration into the teachers. Absolutely. And Davina, can I say one thing? If there's teachers listening to this, talk to your colleagues, especially when we start back and especially when we go through difficult months with teaching or difficult days, keep talking to your colleagues. Mm. I can't tell you how helpful I find that for myself and, and our team and in my various workplaces. Talk to your team, yeah. share what's worrying you, share ideas with each other. It's the biggest motivator. It's valuable and you're not alone in that sense. So. Absolutely you're not. Yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant. <laughs> Rachel, I feel like we could talk about this forever and it's really <laughs> wonderful to hear about your teaching work. So thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Davina, for having me. That was Rachel Cooper. If you like this episode, do check out Lawrence Lass's episode that was mentioned during our chat, in which he spoke about his thoughts on teaching students to teach themselves. And if you're after some more teaching inspiration, do check out our podcast back catalogue of over 100 episodes, where plenty of players and teachers have shared their thoughts on getting fulfilling results from their students and their teaching. And don't forget to check out thestrad.com where you'll find the latest news, articles and reviews on all things to do with string playing. If you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students. And if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days. Start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. It will help people discover this podcast. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.